Welcome back to Doom Patrol Radio WDPR 96.3, your favorite trans-dimensional radio station. Traffic report, Justin, and we've got some messy highways just outside of Limbo and southbound into Inferno. So abandon all hope, you who enter, here on Doom Patrol Radio. Welcome back, nobody. It's your favorite Doom Patrol radio podcast, this side of the painting. My name is Mark. And my name is Nathan. And today we're talking about Dead Patrol, episode three of season three. Nate, how you doing today? I'm doing all right, Mark. How are you doing today? I don't know. I just like checking in on you sometimes. You yeah, know, I know. I thought you were going to do like announce, announcer, sports announcer banter. I don't I even, like don't, to... I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to tee you up for that because I can't even, I can't even no, commit to no. that. I don't even know what to say. I just like say. to know how you're feeling. You know, we're, yes, we're doing the show and yes, we got to get all into uh, what happened in today's episode, which there's a lot to get into. But, you know, on a personal level. I like to check in on mm-hmm. my friends, see how they're doing. So yeah, right. To Touchdown, uh, field goal. To this is not sports fan. The... This, this, it's not that. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be your friend here. I'm trying to. Trying to be personal. I'm not trying to get. I'm not. Not, not trying to make a joke here. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. But as <laughs> uh, as as the saying goes, Mark, no new friends. Which is a blatant lie because we got you know at least three new friends out of this episode. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> Let's get right into it then. Segway. Today's, today's episode, directed by Christopher Manley again, who directed last uh, last week. I say last week's episode, but it really they all came out the same day. So the previous episode, which was Vacate Patrol, he's directing this one as well. So he's back to back directing. But this episode is written by Jeremy Carver himself and Steve Yockey. So if people don't know, we'll get into it for sure. But these are two big names for this episode because... Mm, and even bigger stuff coming in down the pipe. Exactly. Exactly. So if you know, if you don't know, now you know Jeremy Carver is known for show running this Doom Patrol thing. We have him to thank for bringing this show to life along with all the incredible writers that have worked on it, all the incredible directors like Dermot Downs and Christopher Manley. And yes... Jeremy Carver is writing this episode, and so is Steve Yockey, who, in HBO Max's wheelhouse, Steve Yockey does The Flight Attendant, which is a show starring Kaylee Cuoco, and that is a multiple Emmy-winning nominated show uh, on HBO Max, so both of these are powerhouse shows for HBO Max, Mm -hmm. and the two of them have decided, hey, you know what's a good comic book? The Dead Boy Detectives. That's it, baby. So incredible! It's stuff pretty exciting. It's really cool. This was like a this was essentially a, a, a another pilot episode. You know, we get we got the one in I guess the one in Titans for, you know, that Doom Patrol. You know, that happened back in the back in the day, which was awesome. Yeah, um, Carver also is in charge of Titans as well, so it's you know still revitalizing some of these uh, DC shows that we we thought would maybe fall by the wayside, but uh uh-uh. uh. 
Uh uh-uh. uh. This is some this is some big news. Um and I know this was probably talked about um at the beginning of last month when all of this was going about, but uh hey, this is news to me because I didn't know that the Dead Boy Detectives were going to be uh in this episode. And I, I think nothing is really still set in stone. I know they're filming a pilot for Dead Boy Detectives. Um, I, I, I've seen some articles that are maybe still speculating whether, you know, the, the, the actors, let me read their names off here. We have guest actors. We have Ty Tennant is playing Edwin Payne here in this episode, and Sebastian Croft is playing Charles Rowland. And then you have Madeline Hortru who's playing Crystal Palace. So those actors... I don't know if they're also casted for their the, the show itself, what they're filming the pilot for. I know we've seen some changes happen for Doom Patrol itself when they did the cameo episode for Teen Titans and they introduced Doom Patrol. Things change. But I'm willing to bet that the cast will probably remain the same if the positive is, you know, there's a positive reaction to today's episode, which for us, I mean, we'll not speak for you, Nate, but I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a very cute episode. Um, there's also more questions about Abby Monterey's, uh, uh, Dorothy, like what's going to happen with Dorothy, um, in this legacy of Doom Patrol, which is another question as well. But on top of all this, how does that fit in with Netflix's Sandman show that they're doing? Because Sandman, you know, Neil Gaiman, he had the audiobook version of Sandman and then Netflix was like now we want an actual live action TV show Sandman. Yeah. And that so, was going to be my question. I was going to say I wonder if if they would at all tie Sandman into the Dead Boy Detective show. It seems like I uh, I mean uh just side note, Berlanti's getting some work. That's freaking amazing, isn't it? That's a dream come true. Um but with all like the uh, the hype about you know Netflix's Sandman and stuff, I wonder if they're just going to like, you know, obviously not be related, but still like use that um, fandom to kind of uh, springboard onto another series that could even you know be similar or even tie in some Sandman story. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, there's. Now that we have Dead Boy Detectives, there's more and more Vertigo titles that are coming to the screen at home, if you will, coming to television and streaming services. I don't know what the umbrella looks like between HBO Max and Netflix and and where which Vertigo show goes where in the CW network as well. And having Greg Berlanti's name always some somewhere in the mix of all these shows, it's always curious to see what still stays connected. I mean, we we have Titans and, and Doom Patrol here, but we've also had Swamp Thing in the past, and we had the Constantine show, and we had the Flash and the Arrowverse, and is the Arrowverse connected to the Titans universe? I mean, we had the whole Crisis on Infinite Earths, which kind of shared it, where they were like, yes, at some point they all do exist and at some point they're all separate. So would it be cool to see dead boy detectives link up with the Sandman on Netflix? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that I would love to see it happen. I'm not, I won't say it yeah. should happen. I won't say it will happen, but if what it I could would happen, honestly just love to, to see Sandman tied into that as just the bigger story. I mean, that's just, 
that that I feel like that just is another version of world building that you know I'm all for. And um, hey, you know, with the uh, with all these good looks of all these Vertigo books, who's to say they're not thinking about doing a uh, American Vampire? Oh wow, that's <laughs> figured. Yeah, I figured you'd uh, you'd like that one. That, I mean. It, it's it, gotta be. They, I, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> see, there's a new Netflix vampire thing that's apparently happening, right? There's a there's a movie, or yeah, there was a new Netflix vampire movie that was coming. So maybe vampire craze is like coming back, but it's not going to be as true, true bloody, and it's and it's gonna go down to just like here's vampires in different genre, i.e. western. Yeah, yeah, and and it, it the different titles, especially like seeing dead boy detectives in this episode it always just hits me the same way as doom patrol did i mean obviously doom patrol hit us a lot harder because that was something we were really asking for and when we got it it was really surprising that we got it at all but when you say there's you know going to be a sandman show and then a dead dead boys detectives and then you keep you know now you're saying american vampire <laughs> it it's more likely to happen now, and and that's I, that's what I'm saying. That's what's overwhelming. Like you say it, and and it kind of hits me as like, oh, I never thought of it, but it's in the cards now. It's 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 an option because it's totally feasible. I think even westerns themselves are starting to come back. I mean, we started to mm-hmm. see more and more westerns come back in around the last uh, five years, maybe. There's been a, a ton of de- uh, westerns that have have come around, and people really just started to enjoy it. And especially for making TV shows, people have found their way to making it affordable. And you throw in vampires, and the general audience would love that kind of stuff. So, American Vampire is a really good comic book run. I highly recommend it. It's I think it's edgy enough for streaming services as well. Um, and so yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of heavy hitters in this Dead Boy Detective show. I will say that. Um, I think the the thing that could really tie it to Sandman is obviously, of course, in the show today. We haven't really talked about the actual episode yet, but in in regards to Dead Boy Detectives and its link to Sandman, there is a part in today's episode where Edwin mentions death. And how yeah. death, you know, death is is a woman, and we know that in Neil Gaiman's Sandman, that death is a woman. It's like uh, pretty much the sister to Sandman. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the audiobooks, it's played by Kat Dennings. In uh, the Netflix series, it's played by Kirby Howell. And you know, she's she's a very they're both very famous actors. So. Um, if they can swing it and somehow bring Kirby into uh, into Dead Boy Detectives and have her play Death as a quick cameo, I mean, Dead Boy Detectives they have a lot of Death's like assistants. Basically, it's never Death. Death is like the final boss for them, right? So she could do cameos maybe and just and still play Death in both series, and that would be enough to just say, hey. They're connected now. You don't have to really do crossovers. You don't have to be that expensive. Just quick cameo of maybe some voiceovers from her or something like that. You could really connect that universe. And 
I think that's enough to just kind of get people to watch both shows. I mean, I'm going to be watching both anyways, but um, I thought Dead Boy Detectives was going to Netflix as well, but it seems like Dead Boy Detectives is going to stay on HBO Max. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Nate, what did you think about today's episode? <laughs> I thought it was excellent, and it, um, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, wild, uh, you know, goofy, crazy, and all the goofy and crazy moments, and it was exciting and all the exciting moments, and um, very heartfelt in the moments where it was really, really pulling at me, especially in that afterlife bit. Um, yeah, I'll tell you that that. That Victor part in the afterlife that that got me hard. That got me real, yeah, real hard. Um, but yeah, it was it was really really great. Good to see, um, you know, Doom Patrol doing Doom Patrol stuff in a in a in a faraway land that's you know not down the street or or things that are happening in the mansion or whatever. I mean, hell, they were on the River Sticks, if you will. Yeah, it was. I want to say, like, the episode was cute, and when I say it was cute, I mean, like, I really enjoyed it. I think heartfelt is a good way to put it as well, but that's why I found it so cute is because I think, first of all, the inclusion of of Dorothy, Abigail, coming back to play Dorothy in this episode was something I didn't expect. I I didn't expect the character to come back so soon, so quickly. And, you know, just this character who I really want to see grow more in the show and become more part of the show a lot more to see Dorothy come in. And then she's also starting to talk to kids that are her age and do all these cool supernatural doom patrol adventures. That's what I really like to see. And so the, the situations that involve her and crystal and the dead boy detectives, that all to me was like, I love this like chemistry that's going on with yeah. these characters. I want to see more of good. that. That yeah. to it's me good to, was It's good why... to have a refresher of... Sorry. Go for it. No, go for I it. I was going to say, it's good to have a refresher of just a a, a younger uh, audience or cast, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, not to say that, you know, they're, they're children or anything, but not no. um, so much, I guess, uh, <laughs> situations where it makes me... realize that oh my god i have problems too situations where i don't need to to adult as much you know sometimes i just want to watch kids solving mysteries you know yeah and that's what we're gonna get by the way the sweatshirt that dorothy was wearing in this in this episode i am pretty freaking sure that i have seen that advertised and i'm pretty freaking sure that someone has sent me a picture of that sweatshirt on a shopping website was like check this out this is cool right and i was like dang that's really cool i should get that yeah, <laughs> I'm almost certain that I've seen this sweatshirt, and and I had to pause it and like take a take a photo and send it. And I was like, "This is totally the same one, right?" Is we saw this, we were gonna get this, right? I was like, "Yeah, it's pretty cool." Really? Um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. But yeah, I love that uh, Dorothy and Danny are just you know doing Dorothy and Danny like as as they should. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. I, I love to see Danny show up. They're always a treat. Um, the little, the little ambulance chirps. It's great. I mean, it's all just great. Yeah. I, I, 
I really want to see more of these characters more often. And and with with Danny being an ambulance now, it's it's like a little bit easier, I think, for the show to bring that character to life because you know then you can just say cinematically, move it. it's a it's a talking car, so yeah, it's, just, it's, just move it's, them. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. It's it's easy. Um, I love it. I I absolutely love seeing them again, and I want to see more of them. They can obviously fill in if they don't want to do Casey Brink yet. They can they can always just put more Dorothy if they want and have the Casey Brink adventures, you know, a la Dorothy. As long as you know Abigail still wants to play Dorothy, I I would hope so. I I just really like that character, especially from the Rachel Pollock run, seeing that character become more of the centerpiece for the Doom Patrol. I think that's a great uh, progression for this show, though, especially everything that they've established and everything that they talk about in this episode, which is why I found it so endearing, especially the conversations that she has with Crystal Palace and finding out more about the backstory for the Dead Boy Detectives, you know, all three of them. Um, it not only does it set the stage for their own show, for people who don't know about the Dead Boy Detectives, but it also continues to progress the absence of Niles Calder and what that means for Dorothy as she grows up and grows into uh, an actual woman, even though she's hundreds of years old, or I think just a little over 100 years old now. Um, you know, she's growing into being a woman now that she's not stunted by Niles Calder. So... It's it's great seeing these characters again. It's great seeing these characters brought to life in Dead Boy Detectives. Um, I could not be more just... I think I was smiling throughout the entire episode whenever it just involved Dorothy and Crystal Palace and Edwin and Charles. It was so great. Um, I thought it was great to kind of set the stage where it's just Edwin, Charles, and Larry Trainer. Not exactly, you know, negative man because you know, negative spirits not here anymore. So it's just Larry Trainer now. And Larry Trainer just seeing these kids as kids, even though they're technically much older than him. And obviously there's they're they're a little abrasive at first, but he he finds a way to to resonate with them and vice versa. And so what happens there as far as dialogue between Larry Trainer, who we've known for a long time, and these these two boys, it's it's a it's one of those things where you never expect such chemistry from characters of two different comic books that you read, and just being like, wow, that actually really works out. It's a that lot fits. like we I'm talked glad about. You put that in there. Yeah, like that makes total sense. Like what we talked about yeah. with Cyborg being in Doom Patrol. What we talked about with Gargoax. And Doom Patrol both being like, oh, you hate Niles Calder? I hate Niles Calder. Have a great life at the resort. Like, there's these things where they think about these characters and they go, wait a minute. These people have more in common and they're, you know, uh, basically a stone throw away from each other. So why don't we just mix and match these characters and write these interesting scenes together? It's, it's It's just really cool chemistry how it all works out. Um. But yeah, let's let's get a little bit more specific. Let's talk a little bit about the different characters. Let's start with Victor Stone because you know Nate and I, uh, I. I feel like we've been talking about Eleanor and Victor's relationship for a while now, 
as Dude, if we, we do can a different write papers <laughs> on this guy. Honestly, we can do a whole dissertation on Victor Stone. You get you do the cybernetics. I'll do the. I don't. I don't know what I'll do. I'll do the the weird father issues or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. But but yeah, like we have done extensive and have had extensive conversations about this character, and this is so cool because what happened to Victor in this episode was something that literally expands on just the character in general. It gives us more information about just Cyborg. Not Cyborg from Doom Patrol. Not Cyborg from Justice League. Not Cyborg from Zack Snyder's Justice League. Not Cyborg from Teen Titans cartoon. It's just Cyborg. Like, this is a, this is fact that we are getting about this character when he was talking to his mother. And real raw emotion. Something that we've only really speculated because of, you know, anger towards his father or what have mm-hmm. you for, for turning him into this. But we actually got terminology of th- things saying, like, your father built you into a weapon. Like, things where it's like, oh, my God, I don't think that's ever, like, been voiced or ever been, like, written down that I've never read. But that's totally it. That's why is right in front of our face. And, you know, it's it's we always have this talk of you were created to to be the hero to do something more why the hell didn't we ever think dude was created as a precaution as a defense system never once did our did it cross our mind why i don't know because i guess we like to see the heroics out of the character or something and and try to not see the horridness of silas stone um but still it just like solidifies the fact that you know, we talk so much shit about Niles Calder, which it's justified. Mm-hmm. It also needs to be turned on to Silas because we have Cyborg in this character in, in the show that has his own, for lack of a better term, daddy issues. You know? Yeah. It's just, it's so, it's raw fact, it's raw emotion that we get from this character in this moment where he's talking to his mother in the afterlife. It's something that we have not seen before i don't think i don't think it was news to me yeah it and and really you get some of it if you were someone who you know read every cyborg book every every cyborg plot line in in comic books maybe not had his own his own titles because there's rarely a, a solo title but you know they're most of the time they are establishing his origin and getting over that initial hump of, okay, now you're cyborg. Let's get over that first. And then cyborg is never really given enough progress. They never continue to evolve the storyline because they're so fascinated about the origin story. And and sometimes they just rewrite the origin story. So now we have different interpretations of the character's origin that most of the time we were stuck there. Here in this episode, Cyborg is way past that point. And we're finally getting, in live action, stories about Cyborg way after his origin. We're past that in this one. And here, we're having a conversation with Eleanor Stone in the afterlife. And really getting that information of what's always been implied by Silas Stone, by becoming a machine feeling like Frankenstein's monster, all these things that are always implied by his origin, now there's confirmation, now there's, you know, what is the next step after that? What is the next storyline to do after that? 
What is there to do when you deny no longer wanting to be a superhero, which is, you know, you're a product of Star Labs now? All these different things. And we're finally getting there with this show and with this episode. And really having, I guess, some closure with Eleanor Stone. You know, you and I talk a lot about Eleanor Stone and, and Victor Stone uh, and, and both shows that we do. So to see her back again in this show, it's just, there's, it, it's really good. I think it was probably, if I can, if I can pick a favorite, if that's okay to do, I don't know, because everyone has a, you know, a hell of a afterlife plot line in this show. And all of them are heartfelt. All of them are endearing and. I want to empathize with a lot of the struggle that these characters are going through. But man, the the thing about Victor Stone and Eleanor, man, that hit me the hardest just because that of everything that you and I have talked about so much lately with you know what Victor Stone has become and then now with this show it's like this is what you were meant for and is that okay? Do you want to keep doing that with your life is is you know this is what your father envisioned for you and it it just creates it opens a whole new door for for the character that we've been talking about for a while so but then on top of that it's just the 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 onset chemistry between Joyvin Wade and um let me pull up uh Eleanor Stones uh is played by Charmin Lee it's just these these two actors just incredible performances i i felt the the family bond between mother and son so much in this episode and man it felt good just how casual they were with each other and yet they they struck they strike these these nerves of of pain that they've been dealt and they they move on from it and they talk so effortlessly about silas whether you know you know still loving him but still bashing on his ideals and, and what he's done to Victor. It's, it was a great mix. It was a great mix of writing of, of, of just how much pain that they're in and yet how much love is still there. I think that's just one of my favorite things about this episode. Yeah, it was, I'll, I'll echo you. It was my favorite afterlife uh, story sequence. It was really good. It made me well up hard, um, yeah. but yeah, it really it really progresses the character. It gives us another, you know, just a just a deeper look into Cyborg and, and Victor Stone, um, and, and not in a Justice League setting. You know, it's really yeah, good. Um, yeah. The next one was uh, we'll go in, we'll go in the next order. It was uh, Cliff Steele. Cliff Steele, uh, he goes into his afterlife. He finds his father, RJ, uh, played by Michael Harney. And this one was kind of sad, depressing, because I felt like it was the least conclusive, the the one with the least amount of closure, because Mm -hmm. Cliff Steele is still a very bitter person very angry we know this to be robot man's shtick he's always spiteful of of those around him he feels like he's always the victim of his terrible life and he's always answering that depression with anger 
so the way he leaves with his father at the end of this whole afterlife bit, I I felt more sad for the father. Did you what how did you feel about the situation? Um I no, I f- I I resonated in the in the sense of um <laughs> in the sense of of relating to Cliff uh speaking to <laughs> the fact of um ha- how he knows how to, you know, not be a shitty father or a shitty husband or these types of things where it's like you Mm -hmm. i watched you do all of these things so all i have to do is the exact opposite and i'm golden i relate to that uh 100 so it's like i i get it so seeing cliff uh with the with the as with talking to his father as the uh you know welcoming committee as he so called it um was more of just a um I, I was happy for Cliff that he got to experience that um because in Cliff's mind this man was probably someone who brought him a lot of pain and a lot of shitty memories and shitty times and all of just like you know bad stuff a father who just wasn't around or whatever and you put him in the sense of or in the scene of paradise and you see Pegasus flying around and he shoots one and he's like, all right, it's going to make some good. St- it t- tastes like chicken. It's like, dude, you're an asshole. This is not what I want you to be. And that's just, you know, proving further the idea of how Cliff sees his father. Um, and that's okay. I think it was more of a Cliff. You should probably accept the fact that your dad was a piece of shit. You're not a piece of shit. You have a second chance to not be a piece of shit. Let's try to do it. And, uh, you know, it's it's more of a, uh, you know, look inside yourself for Cliff kind of thing. Um, and having the, you know, coming to the conclusion of needing help at the end of the episode was a very, you know, big step. Because we've seen him, you know, 20-year depression and then try to climb up one step for months. It's things like that where it's like okay you are stubborn you probably can do things on your own and eventually get those things done and then have a bolstering sense of pride um but also it's okay to ask for help when you need it especially for things that are not in your wheelhouse like brain surgery in robotics or whatever you want to call it that is keeping you here alive on this plane of reality that's your goal is to be here for the people that need you and the people that want you to be here go for it, act on it. And seeing that, or Cliff seeing that, I think was the whole point of of the afterlife. So it wasn't really closure for the parent relationship, you know, father-son relationship. It was more of a uh, moment of clarity for Cliff. Yeah, or justification, yeah. Yeah, verifying the way he feels about his father, the way he feels about himself and where he's going now. Mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I my takeaway from it was that and, and and the biggest shock is that he says that he's that his father RJ has reconciled his relationship with Cliff's daughter Clara and so now you know Cliff Steele has a a, a grandson and so basically RJ is now a great-grandfather and what shocks Cliff is that the reconciliation of Clara and RJ shocks him because he 
deems RJ as an unabsolvable person for the way mm-hmm. he has treated him in his life, which if you have father issues, I understand that. But that shocks him because here is a man, Cliff Steele, who thinks that he has a second chance to turn his life around. But he doesn't feel the same way about RJ. He doesn't think that RJ can turn his life around and repent for the way that he has been. And so that my takeaway was you are damning your father as you walk out of the afterlife. And you're saying, you know what? I was right. I'm on the right path. You're always going to be a shitty father. So fuck off. Fuck you. See you later. And I'm thinking... No, don't go that way. Don't don't end with that result because that you that's not something you would want for yourself. You wouldn't want to say someone would want to tell you like, oh yeah, you as well are unabsolvable of your past self. And I think that to me was the takeaway was like, look at your father. Look at how he's turned. You know, here he is. He's dead and gone, but he has found peace, and he has reconciled his past life which is what you would want and i think he has to sure you may you may see that as fuel to turn your life around and sure you may use that to verify and justify your change in behavior and, and seek the help that you need to be a better person but don't deny that your father as well has gone down that route because some people do want to change their life and some people can and then some people should be able to you should allow people the chance to turn their 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 themselves around whether or not your father actually does that in real life sorry sometimes things don't go that way and sometimes you can't justify hey you really are still a piece of shit and you always will be but i think in rj's case i think cliff Steele really needed to admit hey actually you did find peace you did reconcile your life I can do that as well. Not, mm. you're still a piece of shit and I'm a, I'm going to prove you wrong and, and be a better person. I think they both lead to the same direction, but it's yeah. whether you... It's just one is less spiteful. Yeah, one is, one is approving <laughs> RJ's change as well. One is denying RJ changed at all. So mm-hmm. I think you and I are both on the same path. It's just that's the, that's the different takeaway. And I think that's great. I think that's a great discussion to have. Um, and I think... All three characters, you know, Victor Stone, Robot Man, and Crazy Jane, Kay Chalice, what each of their afterlifes, what they share in common is, you know, their um, their relatives, older relatives, Eleanor Stone, R.J. Steele, and you have Jane Chalice, Abuelita, the, the grandmother Jane, if you will. Um, they are all relatives who have been you know, there's there's some nasty past trauma that has happened, but they have found peace in the afterlife. They are dead and gone, but they're at peace with the people that their um, kin have become. You know, grandma, grandsons, granddaughters, sons, all this. So it's it's interesting to see, like, you know, when I was watching the episode, I was going... What does it all mean? What does it all mean that, that they're here in this afterlife, but they're seeing their dead relatives here as well? What does it mean for them to be there? Sure, sure. as far as storytelling, we're finding something out about ourselves, you know, Cliff Steele, Victor, and, and Jane, Kate Chalice. 
but what does it mean for those characters? Why why are those characters here in their afterlife? And the more I was watching the episode, the more I could see that those characters were at peace with themselves because because of what? Because they believe in Victor, Cliff, and Jane. They do they find solace in them? Do they are they at peace knowing where where they are in their lives and and what the road is and having faith in them? That was where I was at. That's where I was starting to think like those those people are at peace in their afterlife. What does it mean for what does it mean to, to have those characters in their life again? That's that's where I really stalled and I was really trying to think harder and harder about what it all meant for the future. So, um, let's get into the final one. Uh, uh, Kate Chalice, Crazy Jane, we, we're, we're here um, at Abuelita's like, cabin, basically, and we find out about all the... It, it, this is interesting. We, we find out about someone who knew about Kay Chalice's father and all the, all the rough stuff that happened, all the traumatic things that happened. Um, this is, this one is a little bit more real for people. This one hits a lot harder, uh, cause you're, you're dealing with people who are inner, like, how do I, how do I get into this? Cause it, it definitely is a trigger warning basically, but to, to be someone who is in the know of a family situation, such as what happens with Kate Chalice, it's very difficult to try to intervene in, in, in a child's safety, and especially when a father figure is, you know, this kind of father figure. Um, it was a great moment. It was a great chapter for, for Jane and, and Kay. And all I have to say is that the actual energy of the room between how the grandmother feels about Jane and Kay is very healthy. It's very heartwarming. I, I thought it was just really comforting to know that there is love in Kay's life. And that's what brought me the most joy out of it. And it hurt me the hardest knowing that someone in Kay's life who really did love her uh, and really fought for her unlike her mother, Elena, who, who just couldn't, you know, do much against the father. It just, it was one of those things that really bothered me that a grandmother who loved Kay that much and, and helped her with her personalities and know, like knew about all the trauma that she was developing could not do anything for her. That's what hurt me the most. And, and to see, how Jane could communicate with, with the grandmother. It was really well done by the, by the characters, by the actors, uh, amazing performance by Diane again in this episode. She always has an amazing talent behind her whenever she plays, whichever character is on screen. And it just, it, it really, I, I, I will say that the Victor Eleanor bit was my favorite plot line, but man, this one, seem to be the healthiest one the the biggest progress one if we're if we're talking about cliff Steele being the weakest one for me because he's still stubborn he's still very spite, spiteful the the level that jane and kate chalice are getting to is 
climbing such an uphill battle and and actually getting over it that it it really felt impressive because of how traumatic this situation is and how real it is for people who are in your family trying to to defend you when they against all odds um this one i think resonated a lot for me nate what was your takeaway it was it was heavy doc um very uh tough knowing that there was someone who who wanted to help so badly but but was unable to um that's tough but i felt like the purpose of uh grandmother jane was to show the same exact similarities that that jane personality Mm -hmm. um possesses and maybe it was maybe that you know jane jane's idea or or Kay's idea of what jane is or should be is supposed to be a younger version of her grandmother someone that is supposed to take care of her and everything the the, the quote comes to mind knowing is your job you know, um, so so in in relation to Kay's past, I'm sure grandmother was there to help her and to know things what to do, especially with, you know, developing personalities or, or, or dealing with the trauma and, and that kind of thing. Having someone to talk to about it um, and having someone, you know, calm you down in the in the in the situation or or, you know, just having an outlet for speaking your mind could be someone that knows what to do you know having someone to talk to uh giving you direction giving you advice all that all that jazz could be what the idea of what jane is supposed to be obviously you know and i was thinking that it was just supposed to be a direct relation to this is your comfort zone this is like the person that was taking care of you this was a caregiver of yours this was you know the person that you counted on um and in the you know personality shift and everything you created jane which was supposed to mimic that uh the character that is no knows supposed to know what to do um so i just thought it was very fitting and the fact that jane even said like you know well why can't we just stay here yeah obviously you know your idea of of whatever limbo paradise your forever is that they were thinking like okay this is where i'm stuck it's like no but jane's idea of her her organic idea of we should stay here not is there more not what am i supposed to do next it's just here here's where here's happiness this is where we're supposed to be i think that was mm-hmm. a very telling thing um it's even more mind boggling is that the type word uh mm-hmm. to think that like jane and k both went to grandmother's house. I mean, yes, it would be kind of weird if just Kay went, but like at the end of the day, the person is Kay Chalice. Jane is a persona. So why wasn't any of the other personas? I mean, obviously we can have the, the, the excuse, not excuse, the fact that Jane is the one that's on the surface. So she obviously would be. But I mean, who's to say that when Jane or Kay dies, that Jane just immediately goes away as well. Like, where did all the other personalities go? Did they just stay in the underground? Is the underground still a part of lit? Did the underground go to limbo? Or did they, where is that? Did they disappear? Is that not even an option? So the fact that Kay kind of 
brought Jane along with her to this afterlife limbo. I think it's more of a reassuring aspect for Jane saying, hey, you're you and I are like you're it. This is yes, it's me as the person, but you are just uh, uh, an extension of me. Um, yeah. You know, you need to you need to be on the same page as me down here, knowing who we are as 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 this person, as this being and and be okay with with individuality i guess i don't i don't know i think it's just really cool it's it's a really trippy thought to think that the personality of jane was also brought into limbo um you know obviously actors and whatnot being on screen and stuff but just that as a storytelling device of bringing the personality into limbo and not just being k chalice and and having a a different um moment of clarity in the afterlife you know I thought it was I, I thought it was interesting too because Victor is still cyborg in his afterlife. Robot Man is still Robot Man. A robot is man. not yeah. It wasn't Brendan Fraser like we have seen in other episodes. And yeah, Crazy Jane was Crazy Jane with Kate Chalice, not just Kate Chalice going through it, which any of those would have worked, but they, they deliberately chose to keep them the way that they are. So my only reasoning was that maybe this is a sign of progress that they've accepted who they are and they this is how they see themselves now. We've talked about it in yesterday's episode and we talked about it in uh, Cult Patrol and how the architect showed them how they see themselves. And so if this is how they see themselves now, well, that's progress because they have, you know, come to terms with who they are and what they look like and this is the represent- representation of who I am in my mind if I am in limbo. So that's what I took for that, especially with Robot Man, if, you know, being a robot still in his afterlife. That to me was like, okay, that's how, that's who he thinks of himself now. He is no longer Cliff Steele, the race car driver. He is Robot Man, Cliff Steele. And I knew it. <laughs> I knew that. I really hope people understand what that is. Yeah, anytime they say race car driver. Uh, so, <laughs> Crazy Jane. I, I think this solidifies her as the primary. I know that's, that's that title is really meaningless, especially, um, you know, cinematically just being like, oh, she's the primary, so she gets to come along. I think the establishing of her as the primary and, and seeing the origin with Grandma Jane, I think... It's important as being like, okay, you are the strongest one to help Kay survive her trauma. And sure, I think in a crazier, trippier comic book version, they probably would have been like, yeah, maybe the whole the whole cabin is full of the other mm-hmm. personalities. Or maybe, maybe the other personalities are going through their own limbo separately. And they're going through their different origins of how they were created. Um, Miranda was the main primary at first because she was the first. But just because, you know, you're Kay sitting at her, you know, whatever moment she's in where she develops Miranda, just because she's the first doesn't mean she was the strongest one. It's just, you know, her her friend that she envisioned. She was like, no, I'm Miranda now. I'm not Kay Chalice who's broken and traumatized. I'm Miranda. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a perfect person. But creating Crazy Jane for Grandma Jane was establishing, like, this is a personality that knows it is flawed, but I am stronger for it, which could be a better 
you know, role model for Kay Chow. So that's why Crazy Jane is kind of established as the better primary and continues to be the one for Kay Chalice among all the other personalities. And I think that's that's what's set in stone with this chapter here. Um, and I think it was just a really great way to really show joy in, in Kay Chalice's life again and it's also starting to progress that character as well. And we get to see more of how that character thinks and feels like the real K Chalice, like real subconscious level of this character. So it's, it's not something we usually get to see in the Doom Patrol comic books, which is something I always talk about that this show does better than the comic books itself. As we finally get to these, uh, these parts of the story that we don't get to go to. Normally we're stuck with, different weird adventures, but we never really get to sit down and, and comb through um, and, and, and continue the story of these characters. So that's something that I really enjoyed seeing in today's episode. Um, the final character is Rita Farr. Rita Farr has probably the most curious uh, chapter in today's episode where she doesn't pass out at all into her own afterlife she doesn't go through any progressive event in this episode she's she remains awake the entire time in the valley of souls and i was trying to think why what is the reason what is the purpose of it and the only thing i can think of is maybe niles calder was right in the sense that she's the strongest one out of all of them uh in the sense that Maybe she's already at a level that the other Doom Patrol characters are catching up on. So maybe she can bypass that whole afterlife bit because she's a stronger person. That was my only takeaway of why she didn't go under as well. But what was uh, what was your takeaway for Rita Farr on this one? Um, very curious. Why didn't she go under... I wonder. It maybe maybe there's an answer lying in the Madame Rouge mystery of 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 that aspect of it. Um, maybe Rita actually died and was brought back to life, or you know, reanimated, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But then, like that idea, kind of like was a little bit let us skew but i don't know because i was thinking like oh well because they kept on saying like larry you're not actually dead you're still alive and i was like that's kind of wild to think that larry didn't actually die and then come back to life like he didn't die at all during that encounter it was just radiation protect you and and just not even protect just like radiation transformed you so that you can't die okay i get that um yeah i don't i don't know i'm i'm confused as to why Rita wasn't affected by uh death I don't even know what uh what why was it even that it got to there was a certain point on on the river where it was like okay like you're supposed to be out now um and she didn't and she didn't yeah and she didn't she did a fake like dramatic faint but um which is great. I, 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 I enjoyed know, that. <laughs> I did too. I I really enjoyed it too. But um, when you say her power, like her, she's on another level. What do you, 
referring to? Just like, just power, just like blatant comic book term power of like, oh yeah, she's just like super strong, like Superman. Oh yeah, I guess he can hold his breath long enough to breathe in space or not breathe in space, like that kind of thing. No, no, no. I, I, I'm thinking more of her inner trauma. I feel like she's overcome it in season two because we saw a lot of Rita Farr development in season two. Okay. So that now with this one, they really didn't have to go through that. Like we didn't have to go through the whole Gertrude. Okay. So uh, you're just thinking we just don't have to go for that shtick of like finding yourself. Yeah. Like the others are having to do. Okay. They're catching up. She's Uh. further ahead, which is why I think Niles Calder has more faith in her to, to, to be a superhero, to, to do this whole Doom Patrol shtick. Like, she's the one, as she's sitting there in the Valley of Souls going, you know, he entrusted me with this. He gave me the key to, to it all, and I took a vacation. And it's like, yeah, she's already kind of one step ahead of the other Doom Patrol members, which is probably why she didn't have to go through this whole afterlife ordeal. And that was my takeaway from it basically was that like, yeah, she Mm -hmm. doesn't need, we don't need to go through this all because we went through it all in season two. And, but like, that's falling back on just like a storyteller mindset, not, not in universe. I was trying to think of like why in universe she wouldn't have to go out. Not just like, Oh, because we saw that in season two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like in theory, death wouldn't or whatever that, like that, that that tunnel of souls wouldn't care what Rita Farr did in season two of a television show. It'd still be like, okay, you're this organism that came down here, lights out, like you gotta go through afterlife shtick. But there exactly. was something yeah, that you're right. so maybe maybe she already I don't know if there's a thing where it's like already accepted death where you're just like, yeah, no, like if I'm knocking on death's door, like I'm going through the tree, like that's my I don't have to go through the whole river bullshit like i'm i so like i'm gonna take what you're saying and put it into the story i'm done with this i already went through this river bullshit like i don't have to go through this self-finding you know spiritualistic let me be okay with who i am and and be okay with me dying because i'm already accepted death like i'm i'm dead yo and hey maybe that's like a you know a hat tip to suffering actors hey you're already dead right (laughs) No, but like maybe it was like a I'm maybe. already accepting I'm no I'm, 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 I've I'm already listening. accepted yeah. death. I've already accepted this whole thing. So like just like that whole nonsense I don't need to go through. It's just like okay, like get me processed. Once you get me processed, you'll be like, Oh yeah, okay, you don't have to do the whole paradise afterlife thing. Like you gotta pff, like go you're done, I guess. I don't know. Like but I just saw Beetlejuice, so like the whole death and paperwork thing is hot on my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't just uh, I see about, Beetlejuice. I just watched Beetlejuice for the first of the season, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, either either she already is dead or she's the one farthest away from death. Like maybe she, the other ones are dying and she's the closest to not dying. It's a very, it's a very confusing thing. Um, of being stuck in limbo like who's who's the one actually stuck in limbo and maybe yeah, that maybe, maybe the maybe the melting face guy running around has something to do with with her connection to to that 
Tunnel of Souls. I don't know. Um, that was the I other w- one. That was, th- <sighs> I was thinking that was a guy from that was on the same set that was working from her. And then I was going to be like, okay, is there a scene in season two where like there was like another cast member that like said, never let him see a sweat. And then like the, the thing collapsed or whatever. Because there was a whole thing about Rita yeah. on set in season two. But I can't, I can't remember. But hey, that's clever wordplay with him having to say like, you don't remember me, but. You know, it's like, yeah, you're right, dude. I don't remember you. Do I have to go back to season <laughs> <You're> two? <absolutely laughs> right. I don't remember you at all. I have no clue who you are. I try looking at the cast of characters. I try to jog my memory about who this might be. You know, I look through all the guest starrings. I see um, one character, Mika Joe Parker, uh, plays Malcolm. I have no idea who Malcolm is in the show. Maybe I missed who that character was. Maybe I wasn't paying attention enough. Um, yeah, he's a guy in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, movie that she filmed back then was called Forbidden Congo. Uh, so maybe someone can look into that and try to find the, the the characters in it. I don't know if anyone else fell into the water when you know she had her accident. I remember mm-hmm. that she had a phobia of people with body deformities, which parallels her inevitable fate as becoming Elastigirl. Her last a woman, however you want to refer to the character, Rita Farr, basically. And I have no idea who this person is. The only thing, the only other thing I can think of, if it's not related to Forbidden Congo, is what you said the other day about Madame Rouge and how maybe this guy thinks Rita Farr is Madame Rouge, who Madame Rouge is posing as Rita Farr. And you said on the first episode that maybe Madame Rouge was a prototype for what Rita Farr is now. Mm-hmm. So maybe Malcolm too is also an experiment. I'm assuming his name is Malcolm. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You guys correct me. Melted face man. I think melted face Malcolm. Melted face Malcolm was maybe he too was a Elasta prototype. Yeah, like that. dude looked Proto-lastic. like he got a magnifying glass taken to the face, huh? Yeah, a very, very strange character. I thought the episode was going to, right then and there, explore this character. But uh, I don't know what his fate was. The The spider woman, her name was Night Nurse, uh, played by Ruth Connell. So not, not, no, no, not, no, the, affili- not, <laughs> not the other Night Nurse. I know we keep doing this Marvel DC crossover thing. Not that night nurse. This night nurse was a spider. Um, mm. Cool character. I absolutely love that character. I thought that was great. I want to see more of that in Dead Boy Detectives. But who Melted Face Malcolm was? No idea. Not sure what happened to him. I'm sure we will see more of him. And I think his origin relates to Madame Rouge, which we saw a little bit of Madame Rouge in this one right at the very end. Um my final takeaway for it is I think, and this is the interesting part, we have to see what Madame Rouge wants to do with the Brotherhood of Evil and the now Sisterhood of Dada, which we'll have to put a pin in that and come to it because we can. I, I'm so ready to talk so much about Michelle Gomez, but I don't want to dive into it until we actually see what's going on with Madame Rouge. I want her to take over the show, and then we can start talking about it. My only other takeaway was just how much I loved seeing Dorothy again in this show, in this episode. 
and I'm curious to know if she is going to maybe appear in Dead Boy Detectives or are we going to see more of her later in this show because Niles Calder, uh, there's still a big question mark on him, which we'll hopefully get to in this season. But I am very curious to see where that goes from then because that was another thing that choked me up at the very end of the episode was seeing Dorothy say goodbye to the Doom Patrol. That that really got me choked up. That I, mm-hmm. I thought that was one of the most tender goodbyes I've seen on the show. And it already got me choked up on the first episode. Just, so to see it again in this one, man, uh, I'm going to miss that character a lot. So, Nate, yeah, any closing thoughts on this one? Yeah, my my last closing thought is uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see another... Um, overarching villain character which is i think is what we're alluding to with the whole madame rouge stuff so i'm glad to see that there's another um like bigger threat if you will Mm -hmm. um but like just like i don't know the show feels like it's growing so so much and it's building and world building so fast that i'm so excited to see just this season take off and and bleed into more seasons and and more episodes and just larger stories you know because we usually get stuck with uh you know the fate of having flavor of the week as we used to call it um type deals which is still fine but you know it's akin to season one of flash and that's not that's not fun it was fun when we got it because it was all new cool live action comic book oh cool the flash but a new villain every week or whatever is not um, palpable, I guess, if you will, uh, in the sense of, you know, world building. So I'm really glad to see that there's just a big a big threat um, that's going to, mm-hmm. like, show its face soon. Yeah, I think, and this is something that, that this show has always done so well. I, even when I was watching this episode and thinking about Dead Boy Detectives, I really started to think about how just above the bar this show is compared to the other uh superhero shows and cw shows like there's something about the writing in this show that is fantastic and and really it struck me when i was watching the cyborg and eleanor plot line where i was just like wow this show is so much better than the rest it's it's amazing and i can't believe it's doom patrol that is that show um there's something that they're able to do where they do the flavor of the week episodes and yet still have it all connected and progress so much more. Like, I don't feel like I'm watching flavor of the week episodes. I mean, I know this one was dead boy detectives and that it was teasing another show, but it felt so connected and it's my, my guess is that, Madame Rouge is, you know, as the episode shows, you know, each episode is going to show different villains that maybe she's corralling all of the Brotherhood of Evil and the Sisterhood of Dada into one one big forces of evil against Niles Calder and the Doom Patrol. Like, I mean, that sounds too superhero, super villain-ish for the Doom Patrol, but it might just work the way that they're, they're spinning this the way that, you know, yeah. and, and sure I might be wrong. I probably, probably am wrong. And it's probably a red herring. They're probably just teasing us into that. 
So I'm very curious to see what happens next. So we shall see. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up for today. If you guys enjoyed everything you heard, you can find us on all social media at Radio Doom Patrol, Facebook, Twitter, and DuelingGenre.com, where you can also become a patron subscriber on Patreon. And, you know, there's tons and tons of bonus episodes on there. It really costs, like, I think you can do a dollar subscription or, like, a $4 one. It's real cheap. And they've got so many bonus shows Nate and I are guests on some of those bonus contents because we've got Doom Patrol on our plate already. So they kind of ask us to join in and join the conversations. We'll be doing coverage for DC Fandom in the near future. So definitely check that out as well. Check out all the cool stuff that they have there. Listen to the bonus episodes that Nate and I are on. If you guys love hearing our voices, you guys love hearing us talk about DC superheroes. And without further ado, DJ, please take it away. Now, I may not be the sharpest asteroid in the belt, but you're telling me folks can't dream in hell? Man, if they can't dream of heaven, what power does hell hold over them? Just something to think about. You should.